Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Welcome to this week's TMR podcast. Uh, Ian, I, it's kind of weird looking back at the Merrimack hockey weekend. Uh, a split where it feels like both coaches were pretty satisfied with the split. I mean, I'm sure they both wanted a sweep, but it certainly seemed like both coaches were pretty pleased with how their teams played this weekend. Both UMass's Greg Carvel and uh, Merrimack Scott Bork. Yeah, certainly that seemed to be the message come uh, Saturday night following the 4-1 win for Merrimack. Uh, um, honestly, I thought both teams played well enough both nights where, again, it was a coin flip. It could have gone either way, either night. Um, you know, you look at it going into the third period on Friday night out of the Mullen Center. It was a one-goal game in the third. Uh, Matt Capone took the goaltender interference penalty early in the third. UMass scored on that power play to make it four to two. And then, you know, the Warriors were able to get one back late on that Alex Jeffries goal uh, in the third periods to bring it to the four, three, what, what ended up being the final. So you look at it, right. One penalty cost you a chance at maybe grabbing another point and maybe taking another point away from UMass. Um, and then on Saturday night, you know, I, I thought Merrimack did a nice job coming out early um, the physicality was there. You could tell that there was a sense of urgency in them needing to win or, you know, needing to come away with some sort of points on Saturday night where they didn't, weren't able to do it on Friday. Um, they looked well for um, the back end out. I'm sure Scott Bork, you know, and staff found some things that they're going to work on, on this week in practice. Um, Hugo was good in net on Saturday night as well, um, which is great to see there considering that he hasn't played since December 8th. <laughs> so yeah. it had been a while. Yeah. I didn't really see much of that game. I watched it Sunday. Uh, I was traveling Saturday night and <laughs> basically anything from Friday night on, uh, I didn't see until Sunday and caught up a little bit on it yesterday, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that they looked good in, in both games. I, th I thought they deserved a better fate on, on Friday, to be honest with you, and then uh, came out and kind of finished the job on Saturday and, and did earn some points, which was good to see. And, you know, it's funny, like, we talked about it last week, how they could pretty much be a 500 team the rest of the way and probably be on the tournament bubble. Uh, you know, it, it, they ended up with a split jumping, I think, from 27 to 25 in the pairwise, so they did creep up a little bit. Uh, if they split with BC this weekend, they'll creep up some more because, again, the, the win over the highly ranked team is going to help you more than the loss against the highly ranked team is going to hurt you. Uh, just going into Friday's game and just looking at Friday's game in a vacuum as if nothing else were to happen, uh, I, I had it in my pregame post, if they were 27 going into the series, had they won on Friday, they would have gone to 21. And with the loss, they dropped to 28. So like that that's kind of the difference in when you're playing teams that are, that are ranked just ahead of you in the pairwise, especially significantly ahead of you in the pairwise, or, or significantly near the top in the top 15, that's going to be the kind of story every week. It's going to be the story against BC this weekend. Uh, they play UMass, UNH, BU, uh, Providence. You know, All of those opponents, it's going to be kind of the same story where uh, the, the, the win can significantly in, increase your standing and the loss isn't really going to hurt you all that much. Now, hockey's points are different, of course, but uh, it was it was interesting that you know a split and they moved up a couple of spots and uh, with the exception of probably the Vermont weekend and the Northeastern weekend, although Northeastern is slightly ahead of them when they get the paralyzed, uh, with with the exception of of both of those weekends, splits in all of these weekends should help them a lot in the paralyzed and it's going to help them in the hockey standing. 
Yeah, I mean, jumping from 20, uh, 27 up to 21, like you mentioned, with a win where vice versa, you the loss on Saturday only dropped them down one spot. The, those are the kinds of, you know, consequences almost, not consequences, but reward, risk-reward type situation that they have here in the second half. You know, if you're able to win some of these games, you're going to you're gonna jump up a few spots. And, you know, if you happen to fall, well, it's not going to tank you like, you know, a loss early in the season at earlier in the season at Yale or, you know, a disappointing effort, you know, at BU or against BU earlier in December. So um, points are at a, at a crucial point right now. And, you know, it's going to be one of those things where you're going to be happy getting any kind of points out of any game you get down the, down the stretch here in the second half. And the task doesn't get any easier this weekend because you get the number two team in the nation in Boston College coming to town on Friday night. So buckle up because this roller coaster is rolling right back through the station and we're going back out. Yeah, and probably without Alex Jeffries, too, although uh, almost definitely without Alex Jeffries for this weekend anyway. Uh, nothing nothing officially official on that front, but it does sound like it's going to be, you know, at least a few weeks, maybe a month. Um, you know, I, I gets hurt on January 13th, so a, a month would put him back maybe for that Vermont weekend starting the 16th of February, if it is only a month. Uh, they were going to do some more testing on it this week, but uh, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a short-term thing. It sounds like it's probably going to be at minimum, uh, you know, a number of weeks before he's going to be back in the lineup, which is not a guy that you can afford to lose. Uh, probably, you know, he had been playing really well, you know, all year with a couple of of stretches here and there where where he would go a little quiet. But really, uh, since the the second semester started, he's got four goals in five games. Was arguably playing his best hockey of the season, uh, with the exception of maybe right at the very beginning when he came back and had seven points in, against Maine and UConn. Um, probably play, probably his best stretch of the season coming out of the out of the semester break with uh, you know four goals in five games, and uh, now you're going to be without him. It's a pretty significant weapon, obviously. Uh, for you know, I, I think, I, and I'm just guessing here, but I think it sounds like at minimum. Uh, about a month, hopefully no longer than that. But uh, as, as is the case with injuries, you gotta kind of have to see how how the body reacts as as you go through it. Yeah, I, I couldn't really see the play. Obviously, you know where my location is down along I side, and the last thing I saw out of the corner of my eye was just Alex coming over to the bench. You know, he looked like he was in some discomfort, but I I, I couldn't really differentiate what. Uh, where on the body, you know, the injury might have been at that point in time. And, you know, I, like you, I, I didn't hear anything after the game. And, you know, up until right now, I really didn't know what any kind of time frame would be for him. So um, it is going to be tough. That's definitely not a guy that you want to lose at this point in the year when really you're looking for as many goal scorers as you can get in your lineup each and every night. I mean, I look at the two goals he scored over the weekend, just absolutely picking corners on a very good goaltender, Michael Harabo on both Friday night and Saturday night. Um, the Saturday night one had me confused because there was a lot of celebration going on on the ice. And I, I got, you know, a headset on, I got people telling me, okay, well, is that a goal? And I'm like, I have no idea. I couldn't see it was on the opposite end of the ice. I have the entire bench leaning forward up over the boards, trying to look and see what's going on too. And, uh, I guess you know when I when I looked back and I saw it on the replay, it was clearly it, it went into the back of the net and it got rifled right back out after hitting the water bottle. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because you know it was probably it was tough. Again, I was watching video, so uh, they didn't have a, a real clean look at it. It looked like it was just the guy finishing his check, you know, right right after the release of the puck. So uh, I don't know that it was necessarily you know I don't think it was I think it was a clean hit. I think it was just the guy finishing his check. Um, you know, he skated off under his own power. So uh, just kind of reading the situation, it was something in the upper body. Uh, and now I think, you know, you, you end up having to rely a lot more on guys like Macaponi and Mark Hillier and and Ben Brar and Ty Deneau, who's emerged a little bit. And you're going to need a little bit more out of Philip Fors, Mark. And, and some of those guys, by the way, are also banged up. We know Mac Welsh left the Holy Cross game. He played this past weekend. But, you know, I'm sure he's not 100%. Uh, Michael Satara is just back from an injury. Exactly. Yeah, Chase mean, Stevenson's been in and out of the lineup at different points this year. They got a lot you of know, guys banged up. Yeah. And, you know, in, in talking to people after the game, it, it was kind of brought up, and it's like there are different points in the year where you might run into the injury bug, but for some reason or another, 
it just feels like the injury bug will not go away with this team. But all year. It, it, and that's unfortunate. One. <laughs> you know, from week one. And, and uh, you know, we've said it time and time again. They, they've never had the team they envisioned they were going to have in August. That team has never been on the ice. Because at this point, I mean, we're approaching February now. Uh, I have not received anything definitive on this, but I think at this point, it probably makes sense that Mike Brown's out for the year. Uh, it, I think you just you kind of get to a point where, you know, even if he does get healthy, at what point is red shirting more beneficial, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you play any games at the end of the year, you lose the opportunity to red shirt. So uh, you, you start to play with some stuff like that. And yeah, the, whether it's Stevenson, you know, Jeffries is now the second time he's been hurt this year. Uh, you, you, they've missed guy. Welsher's missed some time. He's been out. Satara missed some time. He's been out. I, uh, I'd like to know the, the man, the man games missed for this team yeah. if there was a running tally on that that might be something i look into and try to figure out just exactly how many games in total that they've missed from guys being out of the lineup throughout the entire season so yeah. far and key guys too that that's kind of the thing you know it's not just hasn't just been one or two it's been it's been almost every it's been almost everybody in their top six <laughs> yeah uh, from, from a forward well, standpoint like it's kind of you, met, you mentioned it you mentioned it right it's a great weekend for a guy in Mark Hillier who who contributed one and one on Saturday night, he he played really well um, for the Warriors, the uh, Newfoundland native. Um, I I liked what I saw out of him, you know. And when you talk about teams that want to make postseason runs, you're going to need guys to step up and fill holes, and he's going to have to be one of them. And you know, if if he can contribute, you know, it doesn't have to be two points every night. If you can get a point out of him each night for two points on a weekend. You know that's that's a pretty solid start, you know, and and a, and a good jumping off point. Yeah, and the thing is, is they're going to need more goals. You know, the, Jeffries led them in goals with twelve by a lot. You know, the next closest guy was is Dano, who has eight. Uh, they're going to need some of those guys to step up and start scoring goals. Matt Capone's got twenty three points, six goals. He's going to have to score more goals with Jeffries out of the lineup. He's going to have to score more goals. Hillier the same thing, fourteen points, four goals. Brar thirteen points, three goals. Uh, fours mark 11 points two goals you know those are the guys that i think they're going to lean on uh and, and going to need more goals out of you know and look it doesn't matter who it comes from right like we know that but uh, i think it's going to have to come from those guys because those are the guys that are going to have the opportunities at time to know same thing those are the guys that are going to have those opportunities on the power play they're going to play be playing 20 minutes a night uh, you know if not more uh jeffries was probably averaging 22 to 24 i mean that he, he was logging the most ice of, of any of their forwards so it, it's a big hole to to plug i think that they're more look they're more capable this year to do it than than maybe any other year this year and last year to absorb a loss like that it, it, we didn't scott borick's first three years if they were to lose their best player like this they're just the season's over <laughs> you know there, there wasn't enough horses there to continue to score goals i, I think they still i mean look they've got They've got talented guys here. Like Capone has scored plenty of goals in his career. Brar has. Deneau's emerging. Uh, you know they, they're going to need these guys to step up, though. And, and I think they're at least able to sustain it. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's not. You don't want to lose a guy that's got you know basically almost a goal per game this year. Uh, but at least they've got they've got the the ability, I think, to absorb it better now and and really over the last two years than than at any other point. Maybe in in. Going back to 10 years ago, to, to be able to lose a guy like that and, and absorb it and be okay, uh, there's there's a chance you know there's a chance that they could be fine. They just need some guys to step up. Yeah, and you you're gonna get guys like Stevenson who you know he, he we've already talked about him. he's been in and out of the lineup a couple times this year. He's a guy that's been around. He's you know he's an older guy. He's got the experience. He knows what the grind is like in the back half of hockey East and, and what it takes. And, you know, a lot of the guys that are on this roster were here last year too. So they also likewise know, I mean, you're looking at guys in Zach Bookman and, you know, obviously your, your leadership group and, and Ben Brar and, and others along the way, it's, it's going to be tough, but you want to win championships. You want to compete in hockey East. You're going to have to find other ways to win hockey games. And sometimes you're going to have to win hockey games two to one or or, you know, one nothing. you know, it's just, are you going to be able to defend as well for 60 minutes against, you know, some of the different teams that are going to be coming 
up on the schedule down the stretch. Um, power play kind of took a step back this weekend. Uh, just one for six over the weekend, the one goal coming on Friday night. Um, but the penalty kill um, was good again. Uh, they were one or five out of six on the weekend. Um, gave up 10 shots in total uh, on the UMass power play opportunities on Friday night. Um, and just allowed the one goal, and it was the third period goal, which ended up being the eventual game winner. Um, so the penalty kill continues to be strong, um, but you know, power play, you're gonna have to continue to you, you're gonna want to turn things around here and, and hope that you can continue to get numbers there too. Yeah, and their their goals per minute on the power play is still is still up there, you know, among the best nationally, which is always good to see. Um, I'm gonna put you in the hot seat here for a minute. I, I know what I would do if you're Scott Bork. Hugo Olas or Zachary Borgil, who starts on Friday night against BC? Hugo. I, I agree. Again, just like I said last week, you ride, you got to ride the hot Hugo. He played, he played well. He played well on Saturday night. He made some tremendous saves late in that third period. Yes, I agree. When UMass kind of stepped up and, and started pushing and bringing it, um, you know, chasing two goals. Um, and he answered the bell, you know, and – and I don't Again, think, by the way, I don't think Zach played poorly on, on Friday. No, 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 no. I'm not taking um, anything away from Zach, too. I thought he made some great saves and kept them in that game early on. Yes. When UMass kind of came out with Especially their hair on period. fire in the first yeah. period. Yeah. So I just think, like I, I said I last Zach week. Zach played well, but yeah, you got to win with Hugo and Nett. Ride him. Put him you got to ride the hot guy. You got to ride the hot guy. Um, you know, I, I, I think the same is true with. You know, Omark and Swayman with the Bruins. If there's somebody that's playing well, you ride them, and until until they don't, and then you, you go back to the other guy. You know, if uh, right now, you, right now seems to be a little easier with Omark having missed the last couple of true, games, so Swayman true. just fills in. You know, I think you know it's it's one of those situations on Friday where you know if Merrimack wins that game, they lose the game four to three, right? If they win that game three to two, Zach probably comes back on Saturday too. And I, and I, I definitely, I, I definitely think that's the case. That's what I would have done. Yeah, I, I would have absolutely done that. Uh, with the 4-3 loss, it gives you the opportunity to go back to Hugo. Hugo plays well. Well, I think Hugo plays Friday. And then who plays on Sunday? Well, that is to be determined based upon how well Hugo plays on Friday. <laughs> you know, you can go right back to I mean, it's it's a it's a thin line here. You know, I, it's nobody's job that I think they're going to keep and lock down. Uh, you know, depending upon how Friday goes, that will determine Sunday. If, and it doesn't necessarily, you know, same with Zach when he was in there. It doesn't necessarily, at least for me, have to be a win because look, you can win the game six five. Your goalie could play poorly. I would like if that's the case on Friday. If Merrimack wins a six five game and Hugo looks shaky, I would come back with Zach on Sunday, even though they won the game. And if they lose a one nothing game and Hugo makes thirty eight saves, I would still come back with Hugo, even though they lost. Like it kind of depends on the dynamics of the game. Yeah, how the game shakes out in front of him. You know, if he's if he's hanging in there and he's making some some quality saves, he's tracking the puck well, you know, he's not really giving up a whole lot as far as rebounds are concerned. He, you know, he's keeping you in there. You're, you're going to turn around and go, hey, go ahead. You're, you're, you're up again. Yeah, yeah. One o'clock game on Sunday, too, at BC, which is, you know, great, right in the middle of playoff football. I don't know what the yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's got to be a basketball game or something on uh, on Saturday. Uh, at yeah, hold on. That's the only, it's the only thing that makes here. sense. Other, otherwise, I don't know why you do a Sunday afternoon game. Although it is on TV, so maybe that's why. Saturday, January 20th, 2 o'clock, they host number four, North Carolina. Well, that's a good reason. <laughs> it's a good reason to push hockey to Sunday, I guess. Uh, North Carolina coming to town. Is that you a see basketball? Uh, no, it does not say Ness in here. But it could be. It very well could be. I, I believe it's I believe it's TV on Sunday. Um, I got to look that up. At least on on the CHN schedule, we have it as a TV game. Uh, it could mean that it's on like Nesson Plus or something like that, and, instead of just regular Nesson. But um, are the Bruins on Sunday? No, I don't think they are because they play Thursday, Saturday. Yeah, it could just be something regular too. Yeah, no, it is Nesson. Yeah, hockey okay. schedule has it as a Nesson game. So Nesson on Sunday, ESPN Plus on on Friday. But that should be. Um, Look, it should be a good series. I mean, we're all going to get to see if you go to the game on Friday night, you know, right in front of your eyes, uh, the the high powered BC offense that includes a bunch of first round picks, including yeah, a bunch there's of a lot of talent on that. There's going to be a lot of talent on that ice. I, look, I think from a, a from a pure skill standpoint, they're better than Boston College. From a pure talent standpoint, I, I think BU's the better. I mean, than Boston University. I think BU's the better team. 
overall. I think they're more experienced. I think they're deeper. I think they've got guys in their their bottom six that can play that type of role better than than BC has. But if you just look at like, all right, who are the top six forwards? Who are the top four defensemen? I, I think BC is more talented overall uh, than than BU. I just think BU is probably the better team. They're one and two in the country right now. I mean, like it's like you're splitting hairs. We're splitting but... hairs, yeah. <laughs> uh, but still, uh, a lot of first round picks going to be in the building. A lot of top five picks going to be in the building on uh, on Friday. Yeah, sure. including one that including one that just worked his way out of Philly. Kind of that situation is weird. Like people are piling on that kid, Cutter Gautier, basically refused so, to sign with the Flyers. But he just used his leverage. Not only did that, he do it in. Did he do it in the in what would some would consider a professional way? Not exactly, but like I see, I would he, even push back on that because guess what? The the narrative now from the Flyers is oh, he didn't want to be a flyer. No, he tried to sign with you twice and you didn't do it. Yeah, he told you to go that is fair. <laughs> he wanted to and sign especially true and especially true too for like a Flyers organization that is in such well, they they're having a little bit of a better year than some people thought they would coming into the season. But still, like the Flyers are still in a rebuilding type phase. And from what I was told, the issue the issue was if they were to sign him, the bonus overages in the contract would have pushed him over the cap. That's not his problem. Like yeah. he's the number five overall pick. Like you make a move if you're not if you draft a kid with a fifth overall pick and he wants to sign, you make a move and figure out how to sign that kid. That's what the Islanders did with Oliver Wallstrom. The Islanders did not want to sign Oliver Wallstrom as a freshman year at BC, but Wallstrom wanted to sign, didn't want to go back to school, and the Islanders figured out a way to make it work. The Flyers didn't want to, and then when the kid said, I'm not playing for you, trade me. Like, you didn't accommodate me. I wanted to sign. Uh, trade me. I'm not going to play for you. And then they start putting it back on him with, well, he doesn't. He didn't want to be a Flyer all of a sudden. Like, they, they, know full, they know full well why he wanted to be traded. They just don't want to take responsibility for it. But that that's that's what happened there. And that's what kind of aggravated me last week with that whole story is like, you know, Danny Briere is out there and Scott Hartnell, I think, did spit and chicklets this week. And they're all like, you know, oh, this entitled yeah, did. spoiled to it today, kid. Mark. It's like, you know what? If they signed him, if they were willing to sign him at the end of last year, he would have signed. It wouldn't have been an issue. It's not that he didn't want to be a flyer. He wanted to be twice. He tried after the world champions to sign again, and they again told him, no, go back to school. And I know some people can say, well, you know, hey, he's the player. He's got to just listen. Well, you're talking about, I mean, what if he goes back to school this year and, God forbid, blows out his knee? Like, now now that opportunity's yeah. gone. Like You're talking, it's not just college hockey. You're talking millions and millions of dollars he could lose out on by the Flyers being like, no, we're not ready to sign you. If it's a third-round pick or even a second-round pick, even a late first-round pick, then, yeah, the team has every right to do that. Number five overall, you're going to take a kid with a number five overall pick, and then after his freshman year of school where he played really well, you're not going to sign him? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, they, they should have made it work. They didn't, so he wanted to go elsewhere, and now they're blaming him for it. Well, anyways, come out to Lawler, and you can see him on Friday night. Yeah. Yeah, and then just Flyers fans. Oh, man, Flyers fans are the worst. You see, they, they had a bunch that showed up at B- Philadelphia at B- fans. Last week. You, you, phrased, you phrased that wrong. True. Philadelphia fans. True. A bunch of them went to the BC game on Friday. I did I did see that, yeah. Like, I did you're see grown that. adults. You have nothing else better to do than to harass a 19-year-old? Like, grow yeah. up. Jeez. They're terrible. So. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on to other news. Ending that rant. Uh, men's basketball. So, uh, I... I watched the game, uh, the Sacred Heart game, and obviously they lost their first game of the year to Central Connecticut yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday. So yesterday on Monday, they lost their first league game of the year. So they're 3-1 and one in the league. Central Connecticut went to 3-0. Uh, but you and I were texting at the end of that Sacred Heart game. You could kind of see there were some issues at the end of that game. Oh, that, there were some issues. They, yeah, they, they kind of creeped yeah. into that, that Central oh, Connecticut. Oh, no, you're, you're talking about the LeMoyne game. Uh, Lemoyne, Lemoyne, it was Lemoyne Sacred on Heart. Saturday. It was, yeah, yeah, not, Sacred not Sacred Heart. Heart. Week, prior. The Lemoyne game. You could yeah, kind of see that those they, issues were creeping in. They tried to give yeah. that one away at, at different points. Um, for some reason or whatever, we just couldn't pick up a board defensively. Um, inside of the final two minutes, I think Lemoyne picked up four offensive boards on the same possession. Yeah, you don't like to If see I'm that. not mistaken. 
Yeah, so want, it was one of those things. You know, there was some <laughs> there was some sloppy turnovers too, just not taking care of the basketball, just things that we don't really talk about, right? When you think of Merrimack basketball, especially Joe Gallo basketball and how he likes to run his ship. So it was just weird and out of place and you know, things then definitely carried over into into Monday afternoon's game. You know, they got off to a slow start. You know, they couldn't they couldn't recover. They they made a late run. They were down by twenty at one point. Yeah. With about ten minutes to go in the second half. And you know, they, they went on a, a little bit of a run late and they only ended up losing the game by five. But reminded um, me of the BU game. It did. It definitely did. Yeah. The slow start. You know, they kind of get the wheels turning, you know, end of the first half, beginning of the second, and then they finally get it up and going full speed and they're able to make a little bit of a run late try and make the game interesting but it was it was just too little too late um so i mean now you know you get you got some time off and likewise they'll also be in the building on friday night um That's right. they'll be home to take on wagner at 7 p.m next door at hamill court same so two days too place, they're a friday sunday this weekend friday Stone sunday sunday at two o'clock yes um so yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. And then you got Wagner again. You play they'll they'll play Wagner twice in a six day span. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting turnaround the way that that happens. But yeah, Wagner at home on Friday, and then they'll be on the road the twenty fifth uh, at Wagner to face them again. Uh, it's interesting too. Like again, these rankings may mean nothing, and they do mean nothing really in the long run. But it's it's good to. I think get an idea of of just kind of mathematically how they how they shake out and and where they stack up against these teams. Uh, Ken Palm has them winning, projected to win every game the rest of the way, which I don't think is going to happen. Let me preface that: I don't think that that's going to happen. Uh, but they have them better than every opponent the rest of the regular season. With the close, the, so that would, that would, that would mean a being, what a 50, 15 and one in conference. Yeah, I don't see that happen. That would be insane. The closest game, by the way, that they have, I mean, the Wagner Road game is the is they've got them winning sixty to fifty nine. That's the closest, the closest differential. Uh, some some of these, or I'm sorry, in Sacred Heart at the end of the year on the road, sixty eight sixty seven. So they've got them winning two one point games. So those two are toss ups right away, right? Uh, from a percentage standpoint, they're they've got them seventy percent or better to win every game the rest of the way, with the exception of. Uh, on the road at Wagner, 52%. At home against Central Connecticut, 60, 64%. So still over 60. Uh, 64% on the road against FDU and 51% on the road against Sacred Heart. So, I mean, I, I think you've probably, I think we said it earlier in the year too, or right before they started, 12 and four. I mean, 12 and four would be a good NEC record. I, I still think that's probably where they end up, right? Is, is right in that 12 and four area. Do you agree? Yeah, that, that that sounds about right. I could maybe see thirteen and three also being on the table, yeah. and there being a solid conversation for that. Um, they don't play. You gotta, they only play consecutive road games twice. That's the thing in league. Yeah, and one of them is the final two games of the year, and next week, you know, uh, the no, sorry, the tail end of the month at Wagner and at St. Francis. Well, actually, no, that's not true because they also just played two consecutive road games. Oh, so just now, yeah, that. the rest of the way. Yeah. The rest of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so three in total. And they're still, I mean, look, defensively, they're 90th in the country overall. In, and so they're top 100 in defense. They're 11th in the nation in turnover percentage, 9th in steal percentage defensively, uh, 29th in the country against two point in two point defense, defending the two point shot. And, and now just to remind folks, this is across the entire yes division. What like we're talking, this is like, you know, you're getting, you know, Kansas and you're getting, you're getting Texas teams, and you're getting UCLA and all, all name the big schools. They're playing, they're playing in there and they're grouped into this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like out of all three, I think it's 300, is it 364, 364, something like that. Uh, but three is a nice number. There you go. So it's it's uh, out of all three hundred something teams, almost four hundred teams. Uh, that that's where they're they're top one hundred. That's why top one hundred is significant. They're top one hundred in quite a few categories defensively, overall defense. Uh, they they're 
their field goal percentage against is 51st in the country. So uh, there's definitely some some areas of struggle. <laughs> offensive rebounds against, so uh, the amount of offensive rebounds they allow, 355th in the country, which you just talked about, uh, the, the four-on-one position there on, on Saturday. So uh, th- that's been some areas of struggle. And, and, you know, the offense is what the offense is. I think what offensively, at least when, when I like to do it, is I, where they rank in the conference offensively defensively in conference they're they're pretty much first in almost every single defensive category uh first or second in almost all of them uh offensive rebound against is being one of the ones that they're not but they're really first or second in, in almost everything offensively again from a national perspective they're going to be near the bottom uh but in league second and field goal percentage second and free throw percentage, fifth overall in offense. If you've got the fifth overall offense and the number one overall defense in the league, you're going to do pretty well. Yeah, I don't know what they were you know, last year, but I, I'm – actually, I can look up what they were last year. They were right on the money from where they were last, last year. They were fifth overall in offense, number one overall in defense, and that's exactly where they are right now. So I, I think last year worked out pretty well, don't you? Uh, Aside from the fourth and final year of ineligibility. Yes. Yeah, well, hey, they got a lot of media out of that. You got a lot of pub out of that. They did. They got a lot of love out of it. That is true. That is very true. A <laughs> couple of football items uh, we can touch on, too, before we wrap up. We got a couple more games. I haven't done a story on this yet, although by the time that it uh, by the time this airs, I probably will have a story up. But uh, they added some home games. Maine is coming to town September 21st. Dartmouth coming to the town. The Black Bears. Yes. Dartmouth coming to town on the 28th of September. Um, and then a, a series with Colgate has been added. So Colgate will be at Merrimack on October 26th of this year. Merrimack will head to Colgate on October 25th, 2025. Uh, so their schedule so far is at Air Force on August 31st, at home against Maine on September 21st, at home against Dartmouth on September 28th, at home against Colgate on October 26th, on the road at Fordham on November 23rd, and then the UConn game at UConn is uh, to be determined. And then in 2025, they're at Colgate and hosting Fordham on on two of those Saturdays. So and starting to come they'd together. probably go up to Maine as well. Yeah, although I can't remember. Did they go to Maine last year or the year before? Or was it basketball that went to Maine? Didn't basketball's they, gone up to basketball's gone up to Maine a couple of times. I don't recall I, a football team. I thought Merrimack maybe yeah, it, it's funny. I get confused. I thought Merrimack football went up to Maine, not this past season, but the season before. I was wondering if that Maine game was a return trip. Uh if if not, then I would agree agree with you they're almost definitely oh no here it is i got it right here they went so i don't know if this is a return trip they went to maine on september 18th 2021 so it was three years ago oh geez okay yeah maybe that's why i don't remember it yeah that may not be a return trip that may be that may be the start of a new agreement although maybe i mean sometimes with these schedules too like sometimes the 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 agreements are so far out that yeah, maybe Merrimack went to Maine in 2021 and Maine was like, look, we can return the trip. We just can't do it. Until yeah. 24. It's just going to do it. Yeah. Just going to wait a couple of <laughs> years. Yeah. So it, it could be the return trip for, for that, but either way, that's not a good team. Not, not a good, so another, another good team on the schedule. I mean, Maine, obviously they play in the, uh, the CA colonial, right. With UNH. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a good conference. Um, Maine football, they struggled last year. I think they had three wins last year, maybe, um, if I'm not mistaken. But, no, it's another good program to have. Um, obviously, another school that, you know, you're familiar with, obviously playing both the men and women in, in hockey on a regular basis. And, you know, basketball has is has some opportunities to play and everything like that. So, no, um, it's nice to see the schedule uh, finally starting to come together. Yeah, and what's and that also confirms what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with six games, six non-league game on non-league games, with six games on the schedule now, uh, that will confirm that at least for 2024, the plan is to play as an independent because you, you can't yep. fit six non-league games in with any sort of league schedule. Uh, they've also got two already on the books for 25. Uh, that could also be a sign that they're planning to play as an independent in 25. Oh, I only say that because of the. Uh, the dates so Fordham November twenty second, Colgate October twenty fifth of twenty twenty five. Uh, those games would kind of be right in the middle of what would normally be your conference portion. Yeah, of the usually, yeah. But still, with just two non conference I mean, tends to wrap up well, second to last last week of September. Yeah. 
Yeah, but with just two on the schedule, you could certainly probably make something work at this point. Uh, at least two that we know about. It's very possible that there's more. But uh, yeah, so it w- would look like they're going to be an independent. But you know what? Hey, you know what? There's there's drawbacks in, in positives to being a, an independent at the FCS level. I think the drawback is you're not in the league, right? So it makes it a little harder to compete for, for a playoff spot. Uh, one of the positives, though, is you get to play some different teams. And the schedule they put together so far for 2024 is pretty good especially visiting a couple of fbs schools uh and and getting some some different teams to come onto your campus and you know maine being probably the biggest of of those names yeah um i didn't get to ask you last week we wouldn't since we're on the football here it's a great conversation you know just transition here who do you got this weekend who's going to the uh oh. conference title games after this past weekend who knows right um uh, well i think buffalo beats the chiefs at home because it's at home. So Can you I, believe I, that that's Patrick Mahomes' first true I, road playoff game? I saw that today. That's incredible. Uh, I, so I think Bills and Ravens on the AFC side and uh, the NFC is such a crapshoot. Uh, prob- <laughs> probably the probably the Niners and Lions. All right, we're giving it to me. Yeah, we're storing the roar in Detroit, Mike. Look, I'm on the I'm on the point, Lions bandwagon. So Why not? At this point, I want them to win the Why whole game. Yeah. Yep. I those are uh, the, that's my conference title matchups too. I got I got Niners Lions in the uh, NFC and I got Bills and uh Bills and Ravens in the AFC. Who are the last and two standing? And also all uh uh-huh. Lions and Bills. I, that's what I want to see. That would be that's, so. Much that would fun. be a dream. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine the the world may come to a standstill if the Lions and the Bills meet in a Super Bowl. There, like, there's the, quite a possibility that that happens. The clash of those two fan bases in Vegas would be absolutely and hilarious. in Vegas of all places. It'd be hilarious. That would be great. That's what I want to see happen. That's what I want. Yeah, that's what I want to see happen. What I think we're going to get is Niners Ravens. Yeah, me too. And that just, I'll, I'll be honest with you, that feels like a boring game to me. I know it's I don't know. I've kind of, I, I kind of, I've liked watching Lamar. Lamar has been better this year. He's been healthy. That's the big thing, right? Yeah. yeah so he's been able true. to, he's been able to truly show you what he can do. I liked Lamar a lot when he was at Louisville. I, I thought he was a standout athlete and I, I really, was excited. I, I was hoping the Patriots would, you know, maybe take a flyer on him, you know, when he was coming out of it. So, but hey, we went with Mac Jones instead. Woo! How's that working out? I know. Real, um, real quick, because we're running out of time, who should they take now? Assuming uh, Caleb Williams goes one, do we hope Drake May falls to, to three, or, or do you? So here's the here's the thing. I think if Marvin Harrison is there at three, you take the wide receiver and draft I, the quarterback in the second round. I, I take I take the like surefire wide receiver option and draft a guy in the second round, and then at the very least, go grab a free agent veteran who's been around. Fine. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be fine. Fine. Yeah. Fine. He, Although, he, he can make it work. He can make it work in Minnesota. He can make it work in here in New England. You would imagine something about something about him. Uh, I feel like Jaden Daniels is House of be glass. Stud. I, I know he's oh, like Jaden Daniels. I feel oh, like I like Jaden Daniels. I feel like he's gonna I like Jay, I like Jaden Daniels a lot in week zero when my seminoles are rolling over him. <laughs> uh, where else can people find you? And I know they'll hear you on uh, Friday. They'll hear me on Friday. Uh also hear me Saturday afternoon. You can find me on TikTok at PA Guy Bo. Um we've got a little bit of new content coming out this week. Uh filmed a different part of the game that I haven't posted about on there so check that out and uh on twitter at ian bow as well all right uh, we'll take a quick break we'll be back with scott bork in just a second sage what about this stick i like the orange in it no mom what is this this stick is so dusty there's no more genos left in it i could take it from here mom what kind of tweet are we looking for here bud just a stick so i could toss sauce chef by rd style so something more apples versus buckets yeah as long as i could still snipe bar south and selly all right i got the perfect tweak for you it's gonna be this stick here mid flex point stick completely accurate for buy down every time this is awesome i love it tsr hockey we speak your language 
All right, here with the head coach of the Merrimack hockey team, Scott Bauer. Coach, uh, getting ready for BC this weekend. We'll talk about them in a couple of minutes. But uh, first, I, I was away over the weekend. So I, we spoke briefly on Friday night after the Friday game. But uh, kind of looking back overall, what were the, your thoughts on the UMass weekend uh, now that you're a couple of days removed from it? Uh, yeah, I was really pleased with the way we played. Um, very hard opponent, you know, very heavy opponent, a team that really makes you make a commitment physically. Uh, it's the only way you can be successful against them. And you know, we were able to do that and, and played well. And it was two very even games, you know. But um, I was really, I thought it was a nice step for our team to play in six periods that way, uh, certainly to play in, at the level that was solid and maybe beyond solid at times. Um, created a lot of offensive opportunities, didn't give up too many, uh, and our goaltending in both nights was, was elite. Um, and so, you know, I was really disappointed not to get the points on Friday because I thought we played well to, to get those, gave up a couple of bad goals, not by our goalie, but by our defensive zone play. Um, and then on Saturday, I thought, uh, again, we got really good goaltending, but, you know, we were much solider on the defensive side of the puck, you know, throughout the 200 feet. And obviously, you know, you made the, the decision to go back to Hugo on Saturday. Uh, what did you think of, of both Zach and Hugo over the weekend? Obviously, it's early, uh, but any thoughts on what you, you might do this weekend at that position with BC coming up? Well, I think that, um, you know, both of them deserve to play tomorrow night. I mean, truth be told, um, Zach was, has been really good in all four games in the second half. Uh, has, obviously, has won three um, put himself in a position, put his team in a position to win uh, one the other night. We didn't get it done. Uh, and I thought Hugo was excellent uh, on Saturday. And, uh, you know, ironically, I was n more nervous about that than I was about Bulls just because Hugo hadn't played. Uh, and then he came out and played one of his best games he's played since he's been here, really dialed in. Um, I was really happy for him because, you know, it wasn't his fault he was out. It was, you know, he got sick. But, I was happy they was able to get a bounce back W because you know he's played well and I got rewarded some this year and that was good to have him get that. Yeah, now you, know, you get some of those difficult decisions coming up again, like we talked about from before. But uh, it seemed like overall, I mean, again, I, I watched the Friday game uh, obviously live, and then Saturday uh, ended up watching the Saturday game uh, on demand on on Sunday on Sunday night, and it. it kind of reminded me of one of those weekends for la from last year in terms of just how, how you guys played and uh, matched, you know, you in fact, probably brought the game to them, you, you know, for big chunks of that weekend, if not most of the weekend. Uh, it just it reminded me kind of a flashback to maybe a similar series last year. It seems like anytime you guys go up against UMass, it's a close series. It has been for like two or three years now, but uh, reminded me of just kind of that typical UMass Merrimack series where it was close. And uh, not only did you guys do enough to win, but I thought, you know, for long stretches, you guys were taking the play to them. Yeah, I know. It, uh, it's interesting. I think, you know, having Chase Stevenson come back into the lineup uh, kind of changed our forward dynamic. Um, you know, he's a heavy player. He plays hard. He's uh, F1. You know, he's on puck all the time. He plays hard in his own end. Uh, it really gave us another player to, to kind of build off of and doing that. Uh, Matty Capone's really done a nice job in the second half here of playing that way as well and letting his skill come through his heavy play. Um, and then the growth of some of our other players is, is in the middle of the rink. And Mark Hillier and Ethan Bono has been really important to that. So I, I've, I, I think that if we can continue to have our four guys down the middle play that way, um, you know, we'll, we'll have a good second half here. I think we just got to continue to get better and build off of that. Obviously, Alex Jeffries went down in that Saturday game. Uh, didn't come back in the third period. Uh, what does it look like, uh, you know, for his status maybe moving forward, even beyond this weekend? Uh, I don't think we'll see Alex for a while. Um, you know, he, uh, you know, it was unfortunate. It was a clean hit. It was really something that's probably happened to him and other guys several times. It was just the angle he went into the boards and um, you know came out with it. It was an upper body injury that will you know keep him out now probably. Um, for the next two weekends for sure, uh, and I think maybe a little bit longer. But uh, the good news is at the end of the game, the doc thought he had a broken clavicle, which would have ended his season. Um, so the fact that he's going to be you know, doing some physical therapy and trying to work his way back in the lineup uh, from mid to late February, um, that's actually good news. And while he's out, we'll grow our team, we'll grow our game, we'll gain more experience, and 
add a really good player at the end of the year, which would be great. Yeah, it's one of those things, too, where, I mean, where, where he missed time earlier in the year. I'm sure there's there's times where you, you lose a guy like that and it can be kind of crushing to a team. But at the same time, you've got a group that knows, okay, well, when he, it's, you know, you've been through this before in, in terms of kind of having to rally around other guys in order to get the job done earlier in the year uh, and, and we're able to do so. Does that help, you think, from a confidence standpoint, just from the room knowing, hey, you know, we, we've, we've done this before. Uh, obviously, you prefer to have him out there, but uh, the situation is what it is, and, and it's not like this is going to be new territory. You were, you were doing it this way earlier in the year. 100%. You know, I think that the difference is uh, Alex Jeffries uh, pl- probably played his best weekend of his career against UMass. Um, I thought he was just electric. You know, his line, obviously, with Phillip and Matt, uh, created opportunities every time they were on the ice, scored a couple, uh, both nights, I believe. You know, and, and that, was a, that line was really giving us a push uh, in a great direction offensively and, and playing well defensively. And that, that's a disappointment to have him step out of it uh, due to a couple other and injuries the guy who would naturally go into that spot is not available uh so you know we'll have someone else give it a role and and hey matt's a you know the great thing is you know matt capone's become a driver um and you know philip has been a driver and so hey we can put someone on that line and hopefully they can drive that guy's game forward and and help our team be successful and add another piece to a puzzle when the end of the year comes around he's obviously a big part of the power play too which has played well in the in the second half uh, in terms of changes there, I mean, is it, is it just going to be switching out one guy into that, that spot where Jeffries usually is on the power play, or, or is this an opportunity to, to maybe shuffle some things around and, and, and look at some different options there? We'll look at some different options for sure. Um, you know, Alex can really hit a puck, and, and, you know, it's important that, you know, someone in that one-time area can really hit a puck and, you know, um, that's important. So we got to put players there who can do that. And if we don't have players who can do exactly that, guys will bring a different skill set to the power play, which which will change how we attack. But that's uh, that's okay, too. You know, that, that just grows your, your game and your team's availability and opportunity with the play in the power play. So, you know, hey, we're disappointed, but I think it's going to help our game in other ways that we're going to have to be better at. Uh, I took a, a watch at the, the- – bc providence games from last weekend last night and you know the friday game it felt like you you saw what bc can do uh with with some of the talent they have they they scored a bunch there in the second period opened up a big lead and kind of didn't look back Uh, even though i thought providence you know played okay in that game it was just you kind of saw what bc's skill level can do when it takes over and then saturday's game it felt like providence uh, was a little heavier against them and kind of played, you know, Providence-style hockey, and, and it's a 4-3 Providence win at, at Schneider. So when you look at the video, uh, what do you see from BC? Is, is it going to try to accentuate some of the things that, that, that Providence was able to do in that Saturday game against them? I mean, it's easier said than done, of course, but um, is that how you try to neutralize some of that, that free wheel and skill that BC has? Yeah, I, I think that the, the hardest thing right now against BC is that if you allow it to be a transition game, you're going to be chasing the game the whole night. And I thought that Providence, while they played pretty well on Friday, or like not, they didn't play 6-1 bad on Friday or 7-1 yeah. bad, uh, they did feed the transition. And, and that's where the game got opened up on them. And, you know, BC's good enough right now that they can dictate that. The question is, do, do you make enough bodies, make them go through enough bodies to play that way? And if we make them go through bodies, you know, who knows? That might lessen their will to do that. Um, you know, BC's still a young team. I mean, I know they're they're super talented and super skilled. You know, the second night coming back after a 7-1, it's hard as a coach to tell your team that just beat a team 7-1 that, hey, they're going to be really good tonight and be ready to, you know, really compete that way. So I felt watching the game, they had a little bit of that um, in, in that second game, and Providence obviously had a little bit more mojo in that game. So, um, I expect the BC team to play their best game of the year tomorrow night, you know, coming off that loss, a uh, great lesson for their team. Uh, we just got to be ready to take it and fight back. Should be one of those weekends too, that you kind of look forward to as a, as a college hockey fan or as a coach or as a player. Uh, I think I saw yesterday tickets at Lawler for this game were sold out Wednesday. Uh, so, you know, there's, it, it should be one of those atmospheres at home that, I mean, this is why you play college hockey, right? To play in these games in front of crowds like you're going to have on, on Friday night. 
Yeah, for sure. It, it just it, it's exactly why you came to Merrimack is to be in this kind of a game against this kind of an opponent uh, where everybody on campus cares, you know, and, and um, it's exciting and it's fun. Um, and we just have to deliver, but certainly uh, having our fan base and our students back uh, will create a really nice atmosphere inside the building. And uh, I'm excited for that because I think, you know, that's something we got used to last year um, in the second half. And this year it's been good. And, and we had really good crowd against UMass while the students weren't there, but it hasn't been the same passion uh, that we had a year ago. And that's because our season's not where it was a year ago. So now this gives us an opportunity, hopefully to, to not only, um, use that to our benefit, but also to bring those people back by playing a great game in front of them. I know some of these guys, just last thing for me, a couple of these guys you can't talk about, uh, but just in general, uh, Merrimack had, I think, five guys on the midterm rankings for central scouting for the NHL draft this coming June. Uh, as far as I'm aware, that's the most ever, you know, in the history of the program. Obviously, a couple of drafted guys on the roster right now, too. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of, uh, you know, the, in terms of how what those players are going to turn out to be or anything like that. But uh, what does it do just, I guess, from a program standpoint? I mean, I would think it's it's a situation where when you start to get those NHL caliber players – uh, it, it become, once you get the first one, it becomes easier to get the second one. And once you get the second one, it becomes easier to get the third one uh, because you, you kind of become a place where, where those players can go. Is that a momentum builder from a recruiting standpoint to see the, the number of guys you, you have listed on, on a list like that? You know, for us, it certainly is. You know, I think that um, it's important for, you know, it's important to the kids, obviously. Um, and when that, when, the kids are feeding other kids that makes recruiting a lot easier, you know? And, um, I said to a couple of guys on our team, my first year when they committed to us, I said, if, you know, if you commit to us, you'll start making an impact on our team. The minute you commit, because other players will, will say, okay, Hey, if he's going there, maybe there's something there. And we were able to build on that, that first year. We got some really good players in the program and continued that the second year. And, you know, that was without these midterm rankings type things, but, Still, it was players that were well-known in their areas and had had a lot of success, um, and they brought that here, and each of them had probably brought another player with them, and now uh, to, to have these five guys recognized, um, I think in the preliminary list had six guys recognized, but now so. having five, um, yeah, that's good. That will bring other players. That, that justifies a kid saying yes to Merrimack over some other opportunity, and you know, that just... Um, that's that's an accomplishment for Dan and Jimmy, Mullen and Josh, frankly. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that we were in that position. I hope we can continue to grow that. All right, Coach Lee, thanks for the time as always, and best of luck this weekend. Hey, I really appreciate it, Mike. We'll see you tomorrow, and have a great night. Thanks again to Merrimack Head Coach Scott Bork for taking the time as always, and for Ian Bouchane for joining us at the beginning of the show, talking all things Merrimack hockey, basketball, and football. Uh, again, Merrimack BC this weekend, Friday's game sold out from what I understand, so uh, you may not be able to get in the building on Friday unless you already have those tickets, but Merrimack will be at BC on Sunday uh, down at County Forum. That is a Sunday game, Sunday at 1 p.m., uh, not, not a Friday-Saturday series, as Ian and I discussed, because... Uh, BC basketball plays at home against North Carolina on Saturday. So Merrimack BC hockey is a Friday Sunday series. Merrimack men's basketball there on the road. Uh, sorry, at home this weekend. Uh, if you can't get into the hockey game, you might be able to get into the basketball game over at Hamilton Court. They play Wagner uh, at seven o'clock on Friday night, and then they'll be home on Sunday against Stonehill. Uh, so both teams playing Friday Sunday this weekend. A big set of games, a big series for men's hockey, and a big series of games against Wagner and Stonehill. Uh, for men's basketball coming up at home, trying to rebound from that first NEC loss of the year to Central Connecticut on Monday. So thanks, everybody, for downloading the show and for being a subscriber over at the Mac Report. Uh, make sure to check out all of our coverage over at themacreport.com, and we will talk to you next week here on the TMR Podcast.